0: by your side for all things local this is drystone radio the sound of Craven and Wharfdale
1: hi uh, Andy Rankin here in the hot seat as usual and um, today uh, we're still talking uh, regarding uh, uh, stuff around male abuse i.e uh, men who have been abused by their partners and um, I want to kick off this particular uh, session with a song uh, from uh, the Everly brothers and uh, it's quite pertinent uh, to uh, men being abused and opening up. So I have a listen to the uh, lyrics to this one and I shall be back with you in a moment or two.
2: Don't want you
1: brothers there and Kathy's clown Um, right well the subject of this week's um, mission I guess is uh, uh, talking uh, about men who have been abused by their partners and uh, today's uh, session uh, John talks to Steve and um, I think you'll find the content quite interesting I mean surprising uh, that in the UK alone 800,000 men a year report domestic abuse. And uh, in this second episode of uh, FTD Talk, John James actually chats to Steve, who's a fellow survivor of uh, domestic abuse. And uh, I think you'll find it quite enlightening. So uh, it runs for about 44 minutes, and it's quite an interesting uh, session. So uh, listen in, and I'll speak to you shortly.
3: Welcome to FTD Talk, Steve. The first question I'd like to ask you is, could you tell me how you and your partner met?
4: We met online, actually, on a online dating site, because that's the dumb thing, I guess, at the time. And it just sort of blossomed from there, really. That's about it. It's it's hard to describe. It, it but it, it seemed pretty normal at first, you know, pretty standard. The only real relationship I had before that was with my son's mum, my ex-wife of. Mm-hmm. We were together for like twelve years or something, so a long time, and we just sort of grew apart. Ended up divorcing. I was single for about four years, and then we just I just met her on a online dating site, and that was it. We just started spending
3: time together. How did you make you feel at that
4: time? I remember at the start it was just funny, but we, we just sort of it was it, it was a bit odd and a bit bizarre. But I'm quite comfortable with that because am it sort of goes with the with the profession that I do. So I was all right with it, and I was just having a laugh. I just went for a bit of fun, you know, just for have a chit chat. wasn't serious or anything like that. So I remember it being quite awkward but quite funny, and that was it. And we just sort of we just carried on. We just carried on spending time together pretty much
3: when did you realize that something wasn't quite right oh quite
4: quick believe it or not and, and looking back i wish um i'd have taken notice of they call them red flags don't they i, I wish I'd, i wish i'd taken notice of the red flags now but you know I, obviously i didn't the first within the first month e- easily i mean there were some very odd things starting to happen for example like I'd go to work and I'd be on dinner with a friend from work and I'd get a text message trying to dump me and, and I'd just look at my mate and i would show him the text and just start laughing. Cause I was just like, that's just bizarre. I was, I was like, I was there last night. we were having a laugh. Do you know what I mean? It was just really, yeah. really odd. So that for me was the big indicator at first. I mean, she literally just tried to dump me every, every week. It was more intense at first. And then after a while, it just sort of didn't die out completely, but it, it got a bit less.
3: Was it just strange, or was it so, was it nasty? Was there an argument involved? Or? No, not at first. It was more of a...
4: It's hard to describe, because I, I, I actually just started laughing. The first... I mean, I'll give you a, a literal example. Um, the first few times we met up, it was just a laugh. I was just having a bit of fun, and just having a laugh. And it, I, I don't mean sort of like intimate fun. I just mean having yeah. a, a, jo- a joke around, just playing around, being a bit of a joker. And I remember going over and we just sort of started chatting and we just got on like a house on fire. We would bang some music on, we'd have a couple of glasses of wine, some cheese, you know, and we just, we just joked. We just had a laugh. And this example in question, I remember when I was at work getting some dinner, I remember saying to my mate, I was just laughing because she tried to dump me. And I said, oh, well, hey, ho, you can't win them all. And I actually bought some cheese and some wine and some flowers. And I went around that night and I just said, look, it's all right. It doesn't matter. If you don't want to continue, that's fine. But I thought I'd I'd replace your wine and your cheese and I got you some flowers. And that was it, honestly. And we just just went inside and just carried on drinking and just having a laugh. And then just carried on from there. It was just bizarre.
3: When did it escalate? When did you realise, my God, this is abuse?
4: That's a tough question for me to answer because I don't think during the relationship that I actually realised there was some strange things. For example, like I used to ask her how many relationships you know like the default questions you ask everybody never really got an answer I think the longest relationship she admitted to having was I think it's about 14 months and that wasn't a standard relationship that was a a married guy so it was like an affair and I was like oh okay that's a bit odd but again I'm not judgmental I just she's like oh well I was young and all that sort of stuff I'm like fair enough you know everybody makes mistakes sort of thing and I think it was probably about three months into the relationship when it's, it seemed to sort of crescendo. I don't mean the abuse. I just meant the... It's like an elephant in the room sort of scenario because there was something that she had to tell me and it was like a big reveal. Which, yeah. to me, looking back, I just I just thought, this is just really odd. But, you know, let's just go with it. Um, and it was this big reveal about how she'd been abused loads. And, um, and, and the stories, looking back now, I can't even believe that I believed them. I think one of them was... She'd gone for some counselling. I'm still not sure why, with a female counsellor. And this apparently, this couns—this counsellor abused her position and ended up luring her into a lesbian relationship. And I'm like, looking back now, how I've been treated after the relationship, it's quite obvious to me that there's something more sinister afoot because I've been treated in exactly the same way, and I literally have done absolutely nothing wrong. And, and and there's more than that. I mean, I could go on probably for a good sort of 10, 15 minutes about all these these people, you know. And I I just look back now and I think, let's be like, I just think when I met her, she was 37. So she's obviously just wanting to have a child. And obviously nobody wants to have a child with her, which again, should have been a bit of a warning sign. But you just go with it, don't you? you just, you know, nice people and all that. So a big thing for me was looking at her age and, and thinking you know, nobody's really stuck out, nobody's really sort of stuck with her for, for a, a long period of time, and I think I ended up staying with her for three years, I don't think during, that, I started getting a, a little bit dismissive, like, well, the, the the worst bit for me was, I think it's like every four to five weeks during the relationship, she'd just sort of say horrible things, I mean, people describe it as narcissistic rage, but I wouldn't have described it as rage, but she used to say some horrible stuff like, "I don't, you know, I don't love you. I've never loved you," and all this sort of stuff. And then she'd just go; like, she would literally just just go out the door, and she'd just disappear for. Sometimes it was like an hour or two. Sometimes it was overnight. She did it while she was pregnant. She did it after little and were born. She didn't matter to her. Do you know what I mean? And, and she did yeah. that for about three years. And I just got to the point where I was like, "I've had enough." I just thought you need to get to a point where. You need to figure out what that stuff is. I think we went to three counsellors while we were together to try and get her some help. There were two Relate counsellors and an NL. We described it at first as commitment phobia. Now, at the time, I was like, I don't know what this stuff is. I'll, I didn't do any psychology or any of this sort of stuff. But I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. You know, let's get you some books. Because I was I was big into self-help stuff. Because I'd, I'd done some sort of codependency work before, like years before. So I bought her a book on commitment phobia um body dysmorphia all these little topics that she seemed to not not really fit into per se but i just thought there's more going on here than just one little thing and i remember reading it i think i read it twice this this commitment phobia book and um she started reading it once and she was like wow i said watch because it's like someone's written a book about my life and i was just like wow that's insane you know well good keep reading it you know Hopefully it will do you, do you some good but um, again like I said nothing really changed nothing really changed I just got more and more fed up during the relationship and again you, you'll hear the phrase walking on eggshells that was all I was doing for three years pretty much
3: it seems as if you had you still had your head screwed on you didn't really get inside your head so why, why did you stay? why
2: didn't
3: you just back up and leave probably
4: given off the wrong idea when we were together my head wasn't screwed on at all i had no idea what was going off it was after um mm. she left if, if anybody talks to her she'll go oh yeah i left he was getting abusive and he's doing this and that and whatever like most guys do you know i was getting fed up i, I was starting to lose all respect for her because she just carried on abusing and, and the the behavior never changed and it wasn't this is the scary thing for me it wasn't physical abuse and i never thought that i'd be on the receiving end of non-physical domestic abuse from a, from a woman because and i say this to so many people i'd, I'd easily fire do, do you know do you know i mean if, if we were if we were mm. side by side you know the the physicality is not an issue it's like but it's it's hard to describe to somebody how how somebody can abuse you just by being in a relationship with you yeah. That's, yeah that's the that's the hard thing to get across so i think the worst part of it was the gaslighting she is a therapist which is quite scary for me before that she was a social worker and then before that she was a journalist so when i look back at the career i think that's the worst combination of somebody who would want skills to be able to manipulate people because you've got words you've got kids and then you've got adults it's like wow that's pretty scary She just to sort of go around being really sort of overtly flirtatious with people and and then she'd sort of spin around and make out like I was jealous and I'm like and, and then afterwards it just sort of dawned on me one time she she sort of tried to make out that I was you know abusive and that I was an alcoholic and and all this sort of stuff and in the end I just it just put, it just popped into my head one day it, the abuse was so bad I ended up going to AA for a while because I thought it was me. Do you know what I mean? I thought it was, yeah, it was yeah. me. It was the, it was the abuser. And and my sponsor just said to me one day, I don't know why it stuck in my head, but he just, I went for a cup of tea and I was in bits. And it was, I think it was the day after, or a couple of days later, I just had a massive light bulb and I went, wow, it's not me. And I was like, wow, I can't believe it. It's not me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And since then, yeah. I've just sort of absorbed anything I can. Reading stuff like psychology and, and self-help stuff and, I and mean, to be fair, I actually I was actually reading all that sort of stuff to try and figure out what was wrong with me. But I kind of inadvertently figured out, you know, what's happened to me, and you know what can happen to other people. So I guess that's 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 probably what happened for me. And that was about nine months after she left. So she used to come back and she'd come around and, and we'd play fight, and it was like we just met. It was just bizarre. But I couldn't I couldn't carry on with the roller coaster. It was like a, a freight train. I just wanted to get off all the time. It was just yeah, messing, yeah. messing with my head, just up and down all the time. So she left and she was like, I can't live like this anymore. She f- fabricated some sort of an argument. And I was just, I was just, you know, like, sat just trying to chill out, listen to music and stuff. And I said, well, just get your stuff and go. And she literally did. And she took my daughter, or our daughter. And I think it was about nine months, went little and were nine months old. So, yeah. and again, it's no coincidence, but she just started to sleep through the night. It's like, you know, the more I look back, the more I see things and go, that makes sense.
3: I know that you ended up in Family Court. My own situation, I don't know anything about Family Court personally. And I know that some of our audience wouldn't know about Family Court. So could you just explain what is the function of Family Court?
4: Right, Okay. I'll give you the official explanation. First of all, forget what you've seen on TV. It's absolutely nothing like what what TV's like. It's basically just a big room where... People go and sit down. It's, it's, it's the children act, basically. I mean, I had to go because she was basically just messing me around with contacts after she left. And I could just, probably sit here and, and give you tell you stories of what happened over about a year. What is it? The straw that broke the camel's back for me was basically just unilaterally dictated all my contact to, to me, right? I used to go every weekend. And then all of a sudden, she'd just take it half a day off me. And the worst one was I traveled down. It's like 50 miles away from here. I traveled down uh, in rush hour one Wednesday and I think I had an hour in the back of the car with my daughter just because she said so. And I'm like, this has to stop. I can't have a decent relationship with my daughter. So I didn't have a choice. I just went to, I went to family court. Basically I, I was supposed to go to court to get a court order so that she would be forced to allow me contact with, with my daughter. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's almost like a last resort. I didn't want to have to do it, but I didn't have a choice. Yeah. It's either don't see my daughter Or go to family court. So I ended up going to family court. And this was three years ago now. If you want me to describe it, it's like the Wild West. I'll I'll be honest (laughs) with you. It's unbelievable. For women, for female abusers, it is like a walk in the park. I mean, she can go into family court and say just about anything she likes. And she will be blindly believed. And I'm talking without any evidence whatsoever. She'll just be believed. So my experience of family court so far is... I goes in to get a court order, I asked for 50-50, I end up with every other weekend, a Wednesday afternoon every week, and half of all the holidays, yeah, which, it's not a lot, but it's better than nothing, I guess, and, and again, this is what you end up finding with family court, it's massively biased towards women, so I think women get, God, what is it, like eight out of ten, or, or nine out of ten, they, they basically just get what they want, pretty much, so that was the first court order that was written three years ago and she's well for a start it's biased yeah so for a start she's got little passport so if I want to arrange to go on holiday and she wants to arrange to go on holiday she does what she likes I have to request the passport I have to give her the flight dates and times and an alternative contact number so even right, right from the off it's like you know you're almost treated like a criminal straight away it's like hang on how's that work
3: does she not have to do the same to
4: you? No. She just does oh. what she wants. This is my point, and then that's that's, that's yeah. the starting point for the court order. So again, it's massively biased towards her, you know, as God forbid she get anxious or whatever. Her legal person, who I'm not going to name and shame, but I'd love to, who's also lied in court or reported to the, the authorities that don't actually do anything about it because they just don't. It's called the silver bullet. My ex has gone to women's aid. Women's aid have Called me a perpetrator. This is buried in mind. There's no evidence of anything, right? Because nothing's actually happened. In fact, if anything, right, I've got more evidence of her being domestically abusive towards me than the opposite way around. Yeah, there aren't any, basically, because I haven't been abusive. And and I think I've got a lot. I I probably got about a good few hundred pages of stuff. Anyway, so she goes to women's aid. Women's aid then go, right, let's get you into family court, let's get you a non molestation order. Now, I didn't know anything about this before I went into family court. And I'm thinking, why would you want one of those? That's a bit, I don't I don't get that, but whatever. Because at this point, I'm thinking, I've got my contact. I'll just carry on. Let's just crack on. So she goes mm. into family court with a, another women's aid worker. I think she basically printed out, the you know, the book that I got her about um, commitment yeah. phobia. She's printed all that out and, and put that in as, as some sort of evidence, right? Um, and she's also presented mm-hmm. a text message from me to her. And it was basically me offering her to put her on health care so she could get some free counselling again. So she used that evidence, even though it's not really evidence of what molestation or whatever you want to call it, or harassment. She's used that to get a non-molestation order against me. We then go back to court for the final court order to be done and, and finalised and printed out, and we abide by that. That night, I tell her, look, you know, well, at dinner time on the, when we went to court, this other women's aid worker, we're walking out on dinner because it, it, it took most of the day. Because you, you just wait around for a while, uh, for a long time. And, and I, I walked out behind him and she sort of turned around and smiled at me. And I'm like, you know, I didn't even know who it was. Anyway, my ex-girlfriend tells her, oh, that's, that's him. And she turned around and started like being verbally abusive. And I was just like, I just started laughing. I was like, you, you do mm. not even know me. And not only do you not know me, we're at family court breaking for dinner so i can go and get some food and you're turning around and verbally abusing me for what reason women's aid need to be completely kept out of family courts regardless and i've even i've I've even got more stuff so i I just left it at this point i'm thinking i don't care you know i don't really want to text her i don't you know i'm not it's not a big deal for me so i just went whatever yeah just give her a normal i don't really care anyway i inadvertently text her on the final court order date. And I, sent her a, I basically sent her a text pleading to co-parent with her. And I actually got prosecuted for that. Believe You got
3: prosecuted for that?
4: Yes. I got prosecuted for sending a text saying, drop the non-moll and let's co-parent our daughter because it's what's best for her. R- basically said that, roughly. I mean, there's, there were a bit more to it. Yeah. Of like, you know, you got what you wanted, you got every other weekend and all. You got, I've got every other weekend and stuff. But that's essentially the, the crux of the message. And the police doggedly hunted me down. Yeah. I had to go in multiple times and check this out. So every time I've been in- interviewed by the police, I've told them I'm the victim. Yeah. And they just completely ignored me. And not only did I tell them I was the victim, I showed them all my evidence on my cloud drive. I was like, look, there's loads of evidence here. She's the, she's the, she's the perpetrator. Just completely ignored it. Honestly, I've, I've never known it. I've never experienced anything like it. So that happened. I got my contact order, I had my contact at the end of the day. That's all I was really bothered about. And I didn't say anything. I didn't say, look, she's a, you know, she's a female perpetrator. She's done this, that and that. I thought I'll just leave it and just see what happens. I am just going to leave it. So contact started to go ahead. This is what I think has happened. I, obviously I can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure I'm like 89% sure this is what's happened. Mm. So I suspect my ex has got some sort of mental health problem. And, and while I have contact, She's getting anxious and she's transferring that onto Littleton because when I had little one time on a weekend, she was sick 21 times. Yeah. From like, I think it was Saturday afternoon until Sunday tea time when I got her, she was sick and kids can't tell you they're anxious. They just get sick and they'll tell you, Oh, I've got a poorly tummy or I've got, you know, this or that. Anyway. So I takes her to the hospital cause she wouldn't dr- eat or drink anything uh, and keep it down. She just kept sickening back up. So, um, so I'm in A&E and I can't, obviously can't contact my ex because she's got a non-molestation or against me and I get arrested. So I, I go and I, I try and get us to drink some water and stuff. And, um, eventually she seems to sort of come around a bit and I said, look, it's getting late. It's, it's getting on for like sort of eight, nine o'clock. What I might do is I might take her home because I've done a Sunday ch- a chicken for Sunday dinner. Uh, I said, I'll take her home and try with a bit of plain chicken and some water, you know, and hopefully she can get some sleep. might be because we're in the hospital that like she's not keeping water down. I said, she has had a bit of water, so I'm not, you know, overly concerned. Anyway, I did a test on her and stuff. Walked back to the back to the car. Obviously, I, I got him to contact her mum because I can't. She comes straight out and just walked back to the car with me. And then I said to her, look, you know, got to take her back. You can come and have a cup of tea and put her to bed if you want, if you want a bit of comfort sort of thing. And she just sort of muttered something and, and buggered off. Anyway, the morning after, got her up. And she had a bag of crisps. She didn't want anything to eat. She'd left her breakfast. So I had to take her back like 50 miles. So I drives down. And um, I could tell she wasn't herself in the car. Gets there. Opens the car door. Little and sick all over herself. And I'm like, oh, God. She's still not well. Need to take her back to the hospital. Now, at this point, my ex-partners involved a third party who, unsurprisingly to me, is a church minister. So he's whiter than white. He makes her look great because... He would never lie. He's a man of God. He opens the front door, and I'm pointing at my little and going, look, she's just been sick on herself. You know, we need to take her back to the hospital. He, he, he said something about you can't see my ex or whatever. I said, all right, fair enough. And I just got back in my car, put her back in the car. And I went to leave, and she comes running out of the home, basically grabs the little and out of the car, all histrionic, yeah, keyword, histrionic. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, she she's just been sick. And I took her back off her, put her back in the car. And she just stood in my way. She wouldn't let me go. She physically just stood in my way. So I've gone to sort of guide her out the way of the car. And she's pretended to be assaulted. I mean, literally, she's just stood in front of me going, uh, and I just I laughed at her and I went, what are you doing there? Because she basically faked an assault. Now, if there's anything I can I can give to the guys out there, this this is so common by female perbs, It's called the ambush. There's a name for it. And I didn't know this until I found it on a Scottish domestic abuse draft bill and I, and I read it and went wow that's unreal because that's just happened to me so again this is and I, and I tell guys this as well get a camera get your phone out get it recorded because if you don't whether it's true or not they'll be believed so basically now, i then wanted for common assault i'll try and cut it short because i could go on forever goes to court she tries to get more charges added on the day by bypassing due process honestly it, it's, an, it's an insane insane story Long story short, she's now breached two court orders. I've missed my daughter's, two of my daughter's birthdays, two Christmases. She's not seen her brother or her dad now for seven months, I think it is. So, you know, and we're back in court again. God knows when. It's supposed to be tomorrow, actually, but it's, there's not enough judges and all that sort of stuff. So so that's family court for you. Awesome place ah. to be. <laughs> And I haven't even mentioned the money, I've, I've lost count, I've probably spent 40, 50k easy, and I'm still
3: spending And she's still winning every time she goes in
4: Oh absolutely, oh, I'll tell you what I did forget to mention, the women's aid worker, uh, not the one that verbally abused me at court, I think it was her boss actually She rang up my support worker, because I had a counsellor at this point, helping me talk through stuff, who's been fantastic by the way So shout out to male domestic abuse services. that give it for free as well, by the way. These people aren't funded. They just do it off their own backs. Yeah, so she left a message which had got private law details on a voicemail. So she's obviously gone around, and this is contempt of court. If you read the court order, you're not allowed to divulge any of these proceedings to anybody. But she's basically told teachers at school. She's told all of her old friends who have not spoken to me. Again, she's just going around telling everybody stuff about private court stuff So when I found out about uh, leaving a voicemail, I googled her and I had a look on Facebook um, And I found her with a t-shirt on which said the future is female Which I thought were a great motto for a women's aid worker (laughs) I then found she got an Instagram, I think she got an Instagram account as well Where she was getting drunk in Magaluf and I was like, oh wow, okay yeah, fair enough. So yeah, so I'm a bit dubious, to be honest, about Women's Aid. Let's just let's just say that. um And well, again, you- I've come I've complained. Nothing's happened. You know, I've reported, and again, I've been reporting all this to the police for the past three plus years. Nothing happens. So it's quite sad.
3: Well, if you go onto the Women's Aid site, it actually says that domestic abuse is gendered crime. Yeah. So See, happens- yeah.
4: I can believe that. In my opinion, it can happen to anybody. By its nature, I don't think it is gendered. What I do believe is it needs to be a a different gendered response to domestic abuse. I do think we need male services and we need Mm -hmm. female services because female perps aren't going to, you know... I mean, some of them will punch you and stab you and stuff, but then these are easy for the police to lock up because there's a stab wound. But, um, it's, 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 it's basically the, um, pathological narcissist that for me, that, you, you know, that are very manipulative, that'll go to straight to victim status. And this is me describing my ex, you know, she, Oh, I'm feeling abused. You know, always basically what's happened is I probably sent her a few texts in the last three years. This is not harassment. This is not abuse. This is somebody, you know, gaming the system. And it's, it's very, very easy to game the system when you're a woman, very easy to game it.
3: What do you think needs to happen then? Because psychological and emotional abuse is very, very difficult to prove. So, how would you think that needs to change?
4: I think we need to start listening to patterns. Part of my job is patterns and pattern recognition. I mean, the stuff that I've learned psychology-wise helped because it's given me the knowledge of people's behaviours. So I've started to see patterns in behaviours. So. For example, non-violent female perps do not behave the same as violent ones, and I would imagine it's the same for guys or similar. So, start to listen. It's not difficult. Just, just go out there and just, just ask somebody. You know, I mean, if you if you think someone's being abused or you know they're in a toxic relationship or whatever, just go and ask them. Just hold out your hand and you know, just see, just talk to people. Just get get a body of evidence and start. I mean, like that like domestic abuse um, draft bill for Scotland. When I read that I was like, oh my God, wow. Cause I was reading exactly what had happened to me. And it said that in the in the text. They fabricate an event at a Handover. I was like, oh my God. And eventually I think I saw an article with loads of bullet points. And I actually sent this to my solicitor the other day. I filled that in and I've highlighted every single one of them but two, which I think one is for sexual abuse and the other one is for I think it's financial abuse or something like that. So every yeah. single one she'd done, apart from you know the the two extreme ones, which obviously the police would have to get involved with. But yeah, it's just uh, just listening to people, especially men. I mean, it's it's always become trendy now to to slag off white men, and and that's so wrong in in, in so many ways. It needs to change. That whole narrative of slagging men off is just wrong. Because I'll be honest with you, you know, I don't. There's not many men that I know that I would say are toxic or bad. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. But it's it's almost yeah. like that that script's been flipped, and it's like, well, hang on, how did that happen all of a sudden? I don't believe it. I just don't. <laughs> we need separate services for men, and and when I say men, I don't just mean you know. I mean like you know, trans men, gay men. Um, yeah. I'm a, I've got a friend who was going to set up a, a counselling service with his gay, you know, and he he he's the first one to say, you know, there's there's loads of it. It's it's you know, there's loads of men out there getting abused left, right, and centre, and they're just not believed. I mean, I think that's the big the big problem. I think is the stats that are being used. I think they're being manipulated up front by the police I know that for sure now because I've spent three years trying to report it and every single time I go to report it I can tell what technique they're using on me to either deflect, displace You know, there's all these different ego defense mechanisms (laughs) that you can use and I'm just sat there going so hang on then officer Mm -hmm. you want me to find some evidence of abuse that never happened How how am I going to do that? Because I what jump to invent something that doesn't exist. It gets to the point where it is like a comedy, and and you know, and you get another one going. Well, you've just been in a toxic relationship, mate. It happens to the best of us. No, because if I was a female, you'd be taking a report. You know, you'd be getting someone else involved, and it would be escalating it. And uh, it's just wrong.
3: I feel for men, I really do. And how do you think that family court can change to improve things for men?
4: Well, they need to um, get rid of women's aid completely uh, Honestly in my experience, that's the worst thing that could have happened because non-molestation orders are criminal consequences The burden of proof needs to be better than it's probable. In other words, I think it's like 50.1% It's, pr- it's probably happened. It's like no, that's not good enough because men are literally getting prosecuted based on hearsay
3: mm-hmm. And,
4: and it's, it, it, do you know what? It's not even just that it's the impact on men and their children. The thing is as well, I say this to so many people, what's the number one reason for men's existence? Their kids.
1: Yeah. Take away that reason
4: yeah. and, and, and what have you got? You've got a man with no reason to live and that's mm-hmm. not good. There's a reason why the suicides are, are getting worse and worse year on year and that's, I think, a big part of it. You need to, we need to just stop. Another big indicator, one thing they could do right now, start enforcing um family court order breaches get rid of kafkas all kafkas have done in my case is give her an excuse to breach court orders every time i get a report they'll go yeah that was reasonable for her to do it they don't mention the impact on the child <laughs> they're yeah. supposed to be like hang on uh she stopped contact there but it was reasonable that's all they're there for they're just there to give women a reason to breach and, and not pay any consequences whereas if it's the other way around guy gets gets locked up straight away boom coppers you in court it's so wrong honestly yeah how they're treated is so completely opposite women almost get compassion and oh no oh well she might have an anxiety problem or oh she might have a you know personality disorder or let's just be let's be kind to her right because she's a woman men nah just get them sent down i just can't believe that in this day and age men are still being treated like criminals when actually all you've got in family court is men wanting a relationship with their son or their daughter. It's, it's the crime of, of our time, I think. And it's been going on for God knows how long.
3: Do you think that women's aid hold a lot of sway in court, then? No, not
4: not in my circumstances. But, well, they've actually meddled in court, is what they've done. They, they've assumed I'm a perpetrator based on zero evidence. And this, for me, needs to be improved 100%, because... I'd love to go to the women's aid and go, well, what were the, you know, where's the test? What test did you put in place before you advised her to get a non-molestation order or whatever? Because I guarantee you there won't have been one. And that's the problem. I, I go for one locally to me here. And I had like, I think it's like 320 some pages of evidence in my court documents. She's got one text and some photocopies. Yeah, I've got all this evidence. Yeah, I mean, literally got pages and pages, reams of stuff. And he goes, oh, this needs to be in your family court documents. And I'm like, well, just give me a non mark Because if you give me a non mark I can then ring the police and she gets prosecuted. God forbid we start prosecuting women. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the problem. That's the actual problem. They don't want to be seen to prosecuting women. They give women compassion to give men jail. It needs to change that we're all human here. The only people that, that, that lose out are the children. It's family court. It's about, It's supposed to be about kids. That's the actual issue. It's not about kids. It's about legal people lengthening out proceedings so they get paid more, or getting a non-moll so they get legal aid, or getting a domestic abuse certificate off women's aid or whatever, or a letter or whatever, so they can then get legal aid. The whole thing is just a
3: mess. Without upheaval of the whole system, it doesn't seem like there's much
4: joy for men. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I can't see... The, the, like I said, the, only, the single biggest thing they can do is start enforcing court orders. I mean, there's only one reason why a court order's in place in the first place, and that's to be followed. You know, if you breach a court order, there should be some consequence. And they've got it written on them. There's always a penal notice. They just ignore it. Because Kafkas go, well, it was reasonable. It's like, no, it doesn't matter whether it's reasonable. That's a court order. And this is the problem. In any other bit of law, you know, a guy breaches an order, boom, he's straight up in front of a judge. It's infantilization. They're not held responsible for their actions. They need to start saying, look, there's a court order here. If you breach it, whatever it says on there is going to happen to you. But then they use the whole, oh, well, they've got a child. So the consequences wouldn't just be on her. It'd be on the child as well. Less than 2% of court orders are enforced. I mean, if that was a business, you know, you wouldn't be paying. It had gone out of business years ago. Yeah. And and (laughs) we are literally paying for these as well. You know, they're not free. It's cost thousands and thousands of pounds.
3: Well, you say that it was... Only after you left the relationship that you realize that what you went through was abuse. Yeah. Did, yeah, yeah. did you tell did you tell anybody else, like friends or family, about the abuse? And if so, what did they think?
4: Oh god, yeah, this is just more grief to be to be fair.
3: Well, what happened
4: was when we were together, we were together for three years. She worked for six months and then she was claiming she was being harassed by a boss or a boss's boss. And I said, Look, you know, we don't need loads of money so just stop doing what you're doing if it's having that much of an impact because it was having an impact on me yeah you know like she'd get home and she'd just start you know kicking off and stuff and i'd be like look chill out eat your tea tea's there run a bath you know and then we'll we'll chat about it and stuff and it got to a point where i was like look it's just not worth this much this much hassle at the time i didn't know anything i just thought it was her being harassed at, at work you know yeah so i just carried on i just carried on completely blindly after she finished working she filled her time with going around and visiting people Um and some of those people were my mom and my sister and some of my friends So that's where the isolation kicked in. So what happened when it all went wrong was she she she'd basically spent quite a lot of time with my mom and my sisters and my sort of friends and family And what they didn't realize was what was happening in the background that I wasn't telling them. So like at times, I used to pull up outside my sister's um, house, and I'd just sit in the car and just start crying because I knew if I told my sister anything, and we were really close at one point, but I knew if I told her anything, my ex would pick up on it through her speech because she's very, she's got a, she's got a, a bit of a gift for for really sort of overanalyzing people's speech. Do you know what I mean? And she can pick up yeah. on like the slight, <laughs> the slightest odd word of oh, it's a guy, is it? You know, you, you can't have like a normal conversation with her. Cause she's, she's almost, you know, sort of obsessively listening to it. And, and, and I could tell this because it, I, I'd had a conversation with my sister at one point. And when I got home, I got grilled about that. I basically got told off like, Oh, what are you telling her that for? You know, I'm like, well, it's my sister. You know, we're really close. I tell my sister everything, obviously not, you know, intimate stuff, but you know, there's, there's certain things that, you know, I'm comfortable to tell my sister about. So eventually I learned to not talk to my sister. I wanted to, obviously, but I didn't. And it was the same with my mum. And it got to the point where I just couldn't talk to him anymore. And after it all broke up, or, well, broke down, should I say, I tried to go around for some support, and it just it just didn't. It didn't work. I think it's because I'd figured out all this sort of psychology stuff. You know, like people are controlling or, or you know, all, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd figured all that sort of stuff out. So I'm not the same person that I used to be. I don't put up with any any toxicity at all anymore. Even if people are trying to control a conversation, I'll say, look, I don't really want to carry on the conversation. Do you get what I mean? I won't be yeah. rude or nasty or anything, but it's like a second nature thing now. I can almost figure people out straight away. My sisters are like that. They've both been traumatized by our parents splitting up when I was younger. So there's a, there's quite a lot of trauma in our family, historical trauma. And I think part of me learning all this stuff, i gone back and looked at myself and I'd also gone back and looked at my family dynamics and I'd also figured out that my ex-partner was just like my mother and my my ex-wife was just like my mother so when you start to realize I've been attracted to women subconsciously that are just like my mother wow that's just it blew my mind I was like wow that's just insane but yeah the problem with that as well is that I'm now isolated from my sisters because I can't I can't have a relationship, a normal, healthy relationship with them because they don't realize how toxic they are because of it. Do you know what I mean? Like my mum used to paint my younger sister. You'll hear these phrases, golden child. My eldest sister was the black sheep because everything that went wrong was her fault. And again, the reason for that is because my eldest sister's got a different father to me and my younger sister. And my younger sister was always subservient. So the younger sister got, oh, she's the golden child because she always does as she's told and you'll start to realize these messed up family dynamics and i've also realized that that's part of the problem (laughs) you know me being attracted to these types of people was part of the problem i mean my mum sadly died around halloween last year and we all had to come back together which was nice because it was we didn't really say anything you know it, it went really well and it was nice to see my sisters and hug them and stuff but I remember, I distinctly remember a conversation where my sister, I could tell on the phone, like my sister just wanted an argument and I just called her out. I said, look, I can tell from your voice, you're angry. You just wanted an argument and I don't want to argue with you. So unless you're going to spit it out and we're going to have a conversation and, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what you've called for. So I feel way better now than I did do, but I've kind of almost got other people as friends now and that they are a lot healthier people as well. I guess it's all good. The, other, the only other thing I will say was two of her friends came to me completely off their own back. This has helped me massively because when you do get gaslighted, it does, it does have a big impact on your, on your mental health. And I think there's even people that I, ch- I chat to online that I've said, look, I can see that you've been traumatized. Please go and get help. They'll, some will be, oh, right, yeah, okay, and they'll sort it. Then other people will just mock you and stuff. And it's like, well, I'm just trying to help you, mate. You know, I've, I've been there, done it, got the T-shirt. I'm just trying to help you. It's that old phrase, isn't it? You can take a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. But I do, I do advocate. You know, like I'll talk to anybody if if, if they're struggling, because I, kn- I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like to be isolated. I know what it feels like to be to be gaslighted, and for somebody to challenge their own perceptions of reality is a very, very scary thing. Can't really describe what it feels like. It's, it's like the worst feeling I've, I've ever felt. So if I can help somebody, if I can talk someone around, and I've done quite a lot of this because I have chatted to quite a lot of male victims and they'll be genuinely surprised when i've said to them look you've been abused mate you know be like what what wow i'll have described these behaviors of toxic women to them and they'll be like oh my god did you know her and it's like no i don't but i know the bad behaviors and i've experienced the bad behaviors but you can <laughs> yeah. you can al- you can almost hear that uh, that connection mm-hmm. that like realization of wow you know you, you know and it's like yeah because i've experienced it this is the thing when you asked before about how can we move it forward the behaviors are the same it doesn't matter if it's yeah. a man a woman I, I suppose we could train a robot to do these behaviors but the behaviors are the same you know they're anxious they're controlling their attention seeking or you know, they're all the same behaviors it's just different people that do it it's as simple as that you know it can be a man it can be a woman to say it's Gendered, I think, you know, it's, I mean, that's obvious, that's just for funding, isn't it? But mental health doesn't discriminate. So it's obvious to me that, you know, it's, it's not a gendered thing. You know, anybody can have bad mental health. You click your fingers, you know, and get run over, oof, you've got bad mental health. You know, people who've seen it, you've got bad mental health. It's just life, it's a part of life, isn't
3: it? Yeah. How do you feel talking about your experiences today?
4: I'm all right with it, actually. I think it's because it just gets rid of the stigma. If people met me in person, they'd just be like shocked to be like, "Oh my God, what? Wow, you've been abused!" And be like, yeah, I have, because I just look like a normal guy. I'm, I'm no different from anybody else, um, and I think that's the, the key message for me is: it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, it can happen to anybody.
3: I think that you know there is no look if somebody has been abused.
4: Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
3: I mean, another thing. I, I can, anybody? Yeah, I mean, another thing I try to tell
4: people as well is, and this is a big thing for me because I don't think people realise, because especially women, like I think I think women get into the defensive. Oh my God, I, I, am I a female perp? And it's almost like that's a negative thing. But when you when you think about it for a long period of time, what you end up realising is, unless you're a, a, a complete total you know anti-social psychopath serial killer right who I would imagine get pleasure from doing sick things unless you're one of those types of people most of the trauma is probably not your fault and that's what people I don't think realise yeah mm-hmm. so like my trauma for example it's a direct r- result of probably my parents you know and their trauma is probably a direct result of their childhoods and their. And I know because I've talked to them about it and, and again if you look at my ex I don't I've got, I've got no ill will towards her i just wish she'd get some help yeah. and again the trauma she's experienced is because of her mother yeah. you know and it's like her mother's mother is probably responsible so again it's generational it's nobody's it's not actually anybody's fault but it's their responsibility to sort out so it doesn't yeah. go yeah. forward there shouldn't be any guilt just be open just you know just have a good a good hard look at yourself and just be open to it
3: Well, I really appreciate you, you being open, and I really appreciate you talking to me today. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for, thanks for
4: listening to me, to me rant on for, what, what it, been ages? <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, it's an absolute pleasure. I think the more people that speak out, the better it's oh, going definitely. to be for, for male survivors of abuse. And I hope there's many more people out there who will listen to this and listen to Nick that I spoke to last week and uh, we'll come forward and speak out. Yeah, I did hear that
4: one. It was good. It was a good, good chat. So
3: thank you for your part in this.
4: Yeah, no worries. All right.
3: Thanks, John. Okay. Thank you. All right. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Steve is just one of hundreds of thousands of men a year in the UK alone that report domestic violence. A very small fraction if those reports actually result in prosecution. Male victims of abuse are not listened to. FTD Talk aims to correct that imbalance by providing a safe, non-judgmental platform from which to tell your story. I hope that many more men, such as Steve, will come forward to talk on the show and to give their stories. Together, we can beat this. No more silence. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Peace.
2: But nothing I could do is ever good enough for you.
1: And uh, that was John talking to Steve about Steve's own personal experience of uh, being abused by his partner. Um, right, uh, well, uh, quite appropriately, I'm going to go on to a song now from Elton John. And I'm still standing. You
0: can never know what it's like Your blood like winter freezes just like ice and There's a cold and lonely light that shines from you You'll wind up like the rig, you hide. Of love and a simple way, and if you need to know why well, I'm still standing, you just fade away. Don't you know? I'm still standing. Better than I ever did, Looking like a true survivor, feeling like a little kid. And I'm still standing after all this time. Thinking Made for to cut me down And if my love was just a circus You'd be a clown by now
2: i
1: No Mars and Grenade another appropriate lyrics And talking of appropriate lyrics I'm going to play my final uh, song and um, don't forget this show is repeated at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning here on Drystone Radio and uh, I'll be back in uh, next Monday evening uh, with a fresh uh, interview thank you for listening and uh, I'm going to leave you with uh, the Beatles and a song called Girl. And I'll see you next week. Good night. Is
2: there anybody going to listen to my story All about the girl who came to stay She's the kind of girl you want so much It makes you sorry Still you don't regret a single day A girl so hard to leave her She will turn to me and start to cry And she promises the earth to me and I believe her After all this time I don't know why Ah, girl Girl, girl She's the kind of girl that you down when friends are there drystone
0: radio by your side for all things local and this is drystone radio the sound of craven and wharfdale